Hebrews chapter 11, we've been talking about this hope and faith thing, and we are going to talk about something extremely difficult today. You do realize the Bible is not full of roses all the time. It's got stuff in it you don't understand. Anybody ever read something in the Bible you don't understand? If you haven't, you haven't been reading the Bible. Can I just lay the groundwork? I've had had people over the years ask me, yeah, but what about this in the Bible? And I go, I don't know. I don't know. Because God wrote it. He used man to write it, but God wrote it through men. And guess what? There's a whole lot about God you're not going to understand until you get there. If you've been married uh, more than 10 seconds, there's a whole lot about your spouse you don't understand. And you still stay in the same room with them. If you've been married 40 years, somebody say amen. There's still a lot about him. You go, Lord, I mean, what's that about, Lord? But yet you're still married. And so it's strange to me that we only apply that to, to God. Like when I don't understand what he's doing. And therefore, since I don't understand what he's doing, I can't apply my, I can't, I can't have faith in him because I don't understand what he's doing. When we, when we do that every day with, with people here on the, on the earth. So we're getting ready to read a portion of scripture that's going to seem extremely odd to you and me when I read it, to be honest with you. Like, why would God do that? Uh, but we're going we're gonna to walk through this and I pray that your faith will be strengthened, your hope. You would be pointing towards something other than just a promise here on earth. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, we're starting verse 17, stand to your feet in honor of reading the word. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now that might not make any sense to anybody in the building. So we're going to read from Genesis chapter 21, exactly what the writer of Hebrews was talking about. So starting in verse one of chapter, or chapter 22, I'm sorry, starting in verse one. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, he said, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled the donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took his hand, took in his hand, the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? 
Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, there's an exclamation point there. Just if you didn't know it, I don't know if it's on there. He said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Father, we thank you today. God, you, you promise us, but you test us as well. And we pray today, Lord, that our, that our faith would pass the test. That the hope we have in you would cause us to act out in faith today and tomorrow and the next day. Lord, put it in our hearts today that you will provide, that you are faithful, even when we don't understand. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Can we just agree this is a very confusing portion of Scripture here in Genesis 22? If you remember back, we've been walking through a little bit of the life of Abraham because the writer of Hebrews points him out as uh, a father of faith and and how he left uh, the land where he was from, and, and, and God had already told him, Hey, go to a land that I will show you and I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the heaven, the sands and the seashore, all that, all that. Only Abraham, Abraham and his wife didn't have a child. And, and we find out that God promises him an offspring. And then, uh, we've already covered that they kind of mess it up a little bit when his wife says, Hey, I'm unable to bear children. I'm past the age of childbirth. Uh, why don't you, why don't you have a child with the servant? And so he, he goes to Hagar and he goes, Hey, it's my wife's idea. What am I supposed to do? So, uh, him and Hagar have a son Ishmael and immediately can, can we just agree that there was dysfunctional families in scripture as well? Even when they were trying to follow God, they were, they were trying to figure it out and they inserted their own ideas into a God plan and it just made it more complicated. Anytime you insert your ideas into a God plan to shorten it or to make it easier, it only complicates it. So this Hagar thing turned into something neither of them anticipated. His wife ended up having disdain for Hagar and Ishmael and and Abraham's like, do with her whatever you want. Like, I can't, I'm not dealing with this anymore. Literally like washes his hands. And, And so his wife, Sarah, pushes her out and now Hagar is an is an exile. She's under a tree and God's talking to her. I mean, it's chaos. Nonetheless, God still promises Abraham a son. So any of you in here that have made a mistake in the middle of God's promise, it doesn't mean it negates the promise because God promises by himself, not your, not you. 
Because if God's promise was dependent only on you keeping it, we would all be toast. So he keeps his promise to Abraham. Sarah ends up getting pregnant very late in life. And uh, they have a son, Isaac. Now the writer of Hebrews jumps into this story like, like it was pretty quick. Uh, but there's some indications that Isaac was not a child, was not a baby. The writer of Hebrews just kind of bumps into it like, um, Abraham didn't even withhold his son from God and was willing to go up and crucify and, and not and, and, and to sacrifice him. And, and as crazy as that sounds, um, God said, Hey, you didn't withhold anything from me. All right. We get into the story in Genesis and we find out that God has decided to test Abraham. Now, can I just be honest with you? We don't live in a God-testing culture now. Anytime we start talking about God testing us, we're like, well, I thought he's going to make my life wonderful. I came to Jesus to have less stress and less conflict. And I came to Jesus to have more peace and more money specifically and that everything in my life would go perfectly. Now you're telling me that God is going to test me. I don't know if I'm signing up for that. And that's the problem that the prosperity gospel and the feel good gospel and your best life got now gospel has, has permeated our culture. And, and now we think that snuggling up to Jesus makes your life perfect. Can I just tell you, um, like Beth and I wear decent clothes on Sunday morning and I buy my shoes at Kohl's just in case anybody wants to know. Um, but, but Beth and I have not had a stress-free life this year. I feel like that we've walked through several real tests with our family this year, praying that we pass. Like life-threatening things. Praying in the middle of it, God. I believe we're going to come down off this mountain. Okay. I still trust you. I still trust you. I remember driving to um, an emergency room twice, one in D.C., one in Winchester, praying the same prayer. Um, God, I trust you. I trust you. I wish he didn't test me to find that out, but he did. I trust you. He tells Abraham, after Abraham has received the promise, Isaac, it's crazy. After Abraham has received the promise, he says, hey, listen, I want you to take him up and I want you to sacrifice him. It's almost like the same story. He says, go to a place that I'll show you. See, God, God does this thing with Abraham early on where he says, he says, go to, I want you to leave and go to a land I'll show you. So he's already got that down. He's already got that test down. He's walked away from his homeland and he's, and he's now living, now living, you know, just like a, just in a tent moving around. And so when God says, Hey, take Isaac to a place, I will show you how much you sacrifice him. The first part, he's like, I've done that before, but this whole sacrificing the kid thing, like, like, was this a higher level class? that I signed up for and I didn't realize? 
I'm not into AP classes, God. You know what I mean? I'm good with the regular classes. Just tell me where to move and I'll move every day. It doesn't matter to me. We're oftentimes okay with God testing us in ways that don't matter. Think about it. Go to a place that I will show you. Abraham goes, nah, I'll go. Now he says, go sacrifice your son to a place that I will show you. Yeah, I'll go. What? No, if you just want me to move around, I can do that. But this is a different test. This is, this is a test that I wouldn't, that I don't know. I was reading, um, thought this was a good, good thought about this. Modern man, if he believes in God, has a tendency to think of the God in whom he believes as benevolent, as a benevolent figure whose main concern is to make man feel good about himself. This God is regarded as something like the recreational director on a cruise ship whose task is to give everyone a good time with no expense spared. The idea that God might initiate a test is therefore foreign to many people, both outside and inside the kingdom. But James put it in perspective when he wrote, My brother, encounter all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James 1, 2 through 4. The idea that God testing us actually perfects our faith. It, it's the thing that takes it to the, to the honors class level. So we get tested. God tests Abraham's hope. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So there's this earthly promise that God has given Abraham. I'm going to give you a son. And through that son, your offspring is going to be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And through him, all people on earth are going to be blessed through that promise. So there's an, there's an earthly promise. And you may, you may have one right now. And I feel like God's promised me this in my lifetime. Promised it to me. Promised it to me. Now, with the promise comes a test. So would everybody agree here that a relationship, a relationship, um, do you remember when you got married? Some of you are like, yep. Um, we did this thing and I still, every wedding I do, I, I, I force the bride and the groom to do this, whether they write in their own language or we use a traditional language. I said, these things have to be in your commitment to each other. Do you remember what it was for better, for worse? Whoa, whoa, whoa. I think somebody skipped some for richer and poorer. Everybody's like, no, we left that out. You better make some money. Okay, for better or for worse, sickness and health, rich or poor, till what? Death do us part. Okay, there's a big commitments there. All right, listen. Do you, do you, know, do you know what you don't hear? Uh, if you don't make me feel good, I might split. 
Because the commitment we were making reflects a commitment that we also make to God. And that God makes to us. No matter what goes on, I'm with you. Amen? If you, if you flip to Matthew chapter 28, he, he tells the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, and be, and, and lo, I will be with you always. He says, I'll be with you to the end. For better, for worse, for sickness, and health, for richer, for poor, till death do us part. He says, I'll be with you all the way to the end. That was a commitment. God made the disciples. He makes it to us. He makes it to Abraham. He makes it to, he makes it to everyone who comes to faith in him. I am with you. The problem is we've kept silent on the commitment. And, and, and we get to the point where we're like, Hey, you know, I'm not feeling as good about this as what I used to feel when I, you know, when we first got together, Lord, you used to wrap me up in hugs and man, I felt so close. Come on, every, anybody. I mean, I've had people come to Christ and they're like, man, I felt like he wrapped his arms around me only 10 years later to go, I don't know where he went. And my life stinks right now. Welcome to the test. Every marriage goes through it. I just encouraged a lot of newlyweds in here. (laughs) Every marriage goes through it multiple times where you're going, now I have a choice because the feelings have subsided and now all I have is a choice. But I remember back to the day I I had already decided the choice. You, that's why we do it at the, at the beginning of the That's why we do it in the ceremony to predetermine your choice. Listen, if you're a believer in here, you have to predetermine a couple things. What he asked me, I will do regardless of the way I feel. Wouldn't it be easier if you predetermined that? I don't feel like getting up today. Going to do it anyway. I don't feel like having faith. I already made the decision on that. You know, I found out that, that, presuppositions are bad in some circumstances or really good in another. When you come to the thing already believing something, it makes it easier. So one of the things Beth and I did in our marriage was we said, there is no plan B. One of us is going to have to die. (laughs) We didn't specify whether it would be at each other's hands, but we said there is no plan B. Okay, no plan B. This is it. We will go to the grave hating each other's guts, but we won't leave. (laughs) All right. We had already determined. We already made up our mind. So when the test came, the answer was already pre, it was already filled in. You know, like I got the Scantron. It's already, it's already filled out. We're staying. It's already filled out. We're here. We're going to do this already. The problem is when our hope is in a promise that, that is solely in this life. We get, we lose it. Does that make sense? When your hope is only on things that happen here, there is an opportunity to lose it. That's why. That's why the test comes because God looked at Abraham and said, I need to make sure your hope hasn't, hasn't shifted from me to Isaac. 
I need to make sure that if you're going to be the father of this faith thing, that your hope is planted in something that is not temporary. At the, the Isaac was the most unbelievable promise God had ever made Abraham, and yet Isaac was temporary. So what happens is God says, okay, Abraham, this is the test. Will you put all your hope and faith in something temporary as close as it's to you, or will you put it in me? And Abraham got up the next day and started splitting wood. The narration in Genesis 22 illuminates, illuminates for the reader the importance of Isaac to Abraham. Listen to the ascending detail that the, that, the, that the writer of Genesis uses. Take your son, take your son, comma, your only son. Now we're getting into a more descriptive part, comma, the one that you love. Do you see how it, how, how it starts to build? Take your son, your only son, the one that you love. It's important to Abraham. This wasn't a joke. This wasn't willy-nilly. This wasn't like, oh, God, yeah, whatever. Sarah can have more. I got Ishmael over there. No, the Genesis wants you to feel the tension. Take your son, your only son, the one that you love. This statement was now true you see that Isaac was all he had of the promise on this earth. The test was whether Abraham had placed his hope on something here or the one who had made the promise. The problem is in the test, even as followers of Christ, we start to apply rational logic to the possible outcomes instead of exercising faith. We start applying this rational logic like, well, God, I mean, you want to give me three steps about how this is going to work out? This is my Achilles heel. I like rational logic. I like steps that relate to each other and, and form a, a consensus and a, and a preferred outcome. I like to put everything in order and go, yeah, if we do this, 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 and this, this is what success looks like. And then God shows up and says, dump it all. And I go, that's not really the way it's done. Just to let you know, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but at Hope Community Church, we like to plan things, Lord. We like to be out in front. We like to have it organized. We like to, mm, we like workflows and all those type of things. And God says, you're going to trust the workflow or you're going to trust me? So we have to have faith in the keeper of the promise, not the promise. The beautiful thing about Abraham is the Bible says that he gets up and he starts, he prepares the wood. Now I need to, I need you to understand sometimes this is pictured as Isaac being a child. Isaac carried his own wood up the mountain. Abraham is an old man. Now, I need you to picture this. Abraham is an old man at this point in time. He's got enough strength to carry fire and a knife. It says he puts the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac. And Isaac carries, Isaac's not four. Unless your four-year-old is superhuman, Isaac's not four. 
Isaac's old enough to walk up the mountain with his dad and, in, and intelligently ask him a question. Where's the sacrifice? He had been around long enough to know how it operates and to know something was missing. He didn't mind carrying the wood, but it would have been a, it have felt a lot better if there was a sheep behind him. And so the unbelievable thing about this story is that Abraham takes two of his servant boys and they go to this place, Moriah. Now I'm going to get a little uh, technical here for a second. Scholars Later on, they believe this is the Temple Mount. There's just not enough evidence for that to be true. It, he sent him to a, a mountain range and told him to go up on a place he would show him. So it says he looks up and he sees it from afar and they start to walk up. He tells us to two servant boys, stay here. Me and the boy are going to go up and worship. And when we're done, we'll come back. Now, nobody else knows what God has asked Abraham to do. It doesn't say he told anybody else. You don't see faith at the top of the mountain. You see faith at the bottom. Did you, did you hear me? The problem is some of us are equivocating at the bottom. And we get a late start. And we go, oh, man, I don't know if he wants me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, I don't know. You know, God, you promised. I don't know. And, and. Abraham simply says, we're going to go up and we're going to come back. That's faith. That's faith. I'm going to go up and I'm going to come back with the boy. Now, it's not till Hebrews that we find out that he, in Abraham's mind, he was saying, even if he makes me go through with it, he'll raise him from the dead. Now, think about the foreshadowing of this whole thing. God, the father Loved the world so much that he sent his his son, his only son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to the earth. You see the foreshadowing now. Jesus came to the earth and he died and he rose again. Abraham had no picture of that in his mind. Now we get the benefit of knowing at the bottom of the mountain, the same God that died for us will resurrect us. So we can look at our neighbors and go, I'm going up and I'm coming back. So he tells the servant boy, stay here. Me and Isaac are going to go up, worship, and then we'll be back. They're walking up. Isaac says, hey, where's the Where's the, where's the sheep? Where's the ram? Abraham says, God will provide. Just keep walking. Walk up to the top of the mountain. Find the spot. Builds the altar. Puts a wood on it. Now, what you have to remember is that Abraham is an old man and his son is probably a teenager. Ain't no old man tying up a teenager against his will. You ever wrestled a four-year-old lately? <laughs> Them things are strong now. Them things are real strong. Something has happened to the human genes and four-year-olds are superheroes all of a sudden. Put a cape on and you can't make that kid do anything he doesn't want to do. Imagine an old man trying to tie up a teenager. You know, we paint Bible pictures, Bible stories, like, like Abraham was just like, all right, put the cuffs on. 
We're going to start the fire, hop up on there. It was his son. Not the son of 15 kids, the only one. The only one. He he starts walking up the hill. You know, there's a song we used to to sing. Um, Roger, can you come up? I don't know what key to sing this. I might end up screwing it up. The band, band, well, you won't even know the band's back there. Listen, when God tests you, he's not trying to take the promise from you. He's trying, to, he's, trying to, he's trying to focus your faith in the one who gives the promise, not the promise. Because the worst thing a believer can do is put all their faith in the promise. And if the promise goes sideways, then we lose all hope. But the one who promised it is faithful. The one who promised it is the one who saves us. Not the promise. So I don't know, I don't know, some of you may remember this song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. Just to apart. Just to the same. The Lord, and that's good, isn't it? Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Thee, how I've proved You, or and or. Maybe you sang it without even knowing what you're singing. How I've proved him more and o'er the test. How I've proved him more and o'er. I was imagining this week Abraham walking up the mountain with Isaac. Singing the second verse. I'm so glad I learned to trust Could you imagine him saying that on the way up? He tells the boys, he tells the boys, stay here. We're going to go up and come back. But he ain't got it figured out, church. He has no idea how it's going to happen. He doesn't have it figured out. He doesn't have a game plan. He doesn't have a sleight of hand. He doesn't have, I'm going to put him on there. And I'm going to be like, and then for all intent and purposes, he's walking up there to obey God. And I can hear him singing, I'm so glad I learned to trust you. Isaac, this doesn't make any sense right now, but we're going to trust him. Isaac is old enough to understand. This doesn't make it, Isaac, I can't even explain this to you. But we're going to trust him. I can't explain it, Isaac. There's no rationale right now. A dad to a son. I can't tell you 
how this is going. I don't understand either, but I'm so glad I learned to trust him. Isaac crawls up on the wood. Isaac crawls up on the wood. I'm so glad I learned to trust. And then out of heaven, the Bible says an angel said, Abraham. And I don't know if you've ever been in this circumstance before. Have you ever had an adrenaline dump? Seriously, have you ever had an adrenaline dump? Think about what is coursing through Abraham's body at this point. Abraham, don't touch him. I imagine he collapsed right there. I imagine he just fell on the ground. Singing the song. You will be with me till the end. Then him and Isaac, I don't know about you, but I'd have kicked that altar over. We're going home, boy. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. How I've proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Give me the grace to trust you more today, Lord. To trust him more. Come on, stand to your feet. We're going to wrap it up with this. Listen, if you're like me, you got it all worked out. You know what you want to happen. You know when you want it to happen. You've heard from God, you know, the promises of God. You know it. Man, God, this has got to come true. This is God. This is the job. This is the thing. It's got to come to pass. It's got to come to pass. It's got to come to pass. And before you know it, we've transferred all of our hope from him into the circumstance. And then the circumstance starts to get squirrely and we start going, God, this doesn't make any sense. Why, 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 why are you doing it to me? Why are you doing it to me? And God said, I'm testing you. Do you trust me or that? We've got a great lesson in the word of God where Abraham says, I'm coming, we're coming back from this test. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. And if there's a hymn of the church that we need to lean into today, it has nothing to do with how good our lives can be. It's Jesus, Jesus, how I trust you. When you look across American culture, when you look across what's going on, you go, oh, I can't figure out the Jesus, Jesus, how I tr-. when he's taken, when he's taken the thing that you were putting all your faith in and he says, give it to me. And you go, ah, and then he says, I'll be faithful to you to the end and I'll complete my promise in you. And you just curl up in the middle of the floor, weeping on how I've proved you o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. I pray for the grace that we would trust you more today, Lord. You are our hope. It's not money, it's not pleasure. It's not anything on this earth that can trick our senses into believing it's more important. It's you. And so today, Lord, we ask for the grace to trust you more. We will not shy away.
from the test, Lord, we'll walk up with faith to the top of the mountain. We will not shy away from the test. Lord, we will prove you or and or. Lord, we will go up and come back down. Lord, we pray that you'd work through this church. Increase our faith, Lord, and change your community. Thank you for it. Come on, if you're in a test right now this morning and you need the faith to march to the top of the mountain, just lift that up to him. Just ask him, give me grace to trust you. Give me the grace to trust you right now. Give me the grace to trust you right now. The grace I need to trust you. Thank you for keeping that promise that you will be with us. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. That you will keep the promise. Thank you for being with us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, church, can you thank him this morning? Can you thank him this morning? Thank you. Hey, listen. Pray for the grace to trust him more this week. Amen. Hey, listen, don't miss next week. That grace is available in every season of your life.